The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning, Fountain of Life. It's uh, an honor, as always, to be with you and to share God's Word together. This morning, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. We're continuing our study through the book of Revelation. We finished Jesus' seven addresses to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and now we get a vision of the throne in heaven. So we'll be in Revelation chapter 4. Let's turn in our Bibles. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Revelation chapter 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what an incredible view you give us in your word this morning. And we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we work to understand your word, Lord, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened to see uh, the beautiful, splendid reality of who you are seated on the throne. Lord, please help me to teach this text faithfully, and please help each one um, who hears it, Lord, that we may be rightly affected by who you are, and that who you are... um, would be most awesome, most majestic to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the 
dominating attention of your mind and your heart this morning? Where um, are the eyes of your heart continually drawn? What's kind of um, grabbing you by the ears and forcing you to look at it? What's, what's leading your emotions around on a leash this morning? What's dominating your heart and your mind? What do you fear? There's plenty of competitors right now for the attention of our hearts. All I have to do is say the word COVID. You think of everything connected to that. Um, the political situation right now. Deeply concerned about where the country is going, how the country is going to handle the next couple months. Racism, riots, shootings. There's fires burning throughout the West Coast. People are experiencing incredible financial instability. We don't know what's going to happen with our future. There's deep emotional pain, discouragement, depression. There's a lack of unity in relationships. So many opportunities to divide. So again, what is dominating, demanding the attention of your heart this morning? You know, all these things I mentioned and more call for a thoughtful, godly response. But this morning, for a moment... Our text invites us to lift our eyes to something higher and greater and more fundamental, more influential than any of these things that I just mentioned. Because there is a reality more fundamental, more important, more definitive than any of these things. And it is this reality that should always dominate the attention of our minds and our hearts. In fact, this reality we're going to ponder this morning is so definitive that seeing it for what it is is the only thing that can give us the perspective we need for all these other challenges that we face. So we're continuing our study through the book of Revelation, and we've reached chapter 4. We need to remember Revelation was written by the Apostle John. He was eyewitness to the life of Jesus Christ. And we've seen what he said about Jesus in the Gospel of John. We've been through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And it's really important for us to remember that as John writes Revelation, John is in exile. Domitian is the Roman emperor of the time, and he's a tyrant. Christians are harshly persecuted in many places. John is in exile, forced away from his home to an island set apart for political criminals. His life may even have included slave labor. So his world is not easy. We saw him call himself a partner with us in the tribulation, the pressure, the suffering that Christians often face. I bring that up because some of us might be tempted to say, you know, Matt, theology seems irrelevant in the midst of all these current events. Maybe we should just focus on the, the tyranny of these current events. And we need to remember here that John is not getting theological because he's comfortable or bored. It's not like the current events of John's day don't have controversy, tragedy, conspiracy, injustice, violence, and all the rest. They did, in fact, in many ways, more than ours. Now, in this chapter, we see that the reality of John's theology overcomes 
the chaos of his current events. What he's going to see is so great and so majestic that it puts all the tyranny of the current events in their proper place. By the power of the Holy Spirit, John gets a view into the heavenly throne room. And it is the Holy Spirit's plan and purpose that he would share his view with us. So here's what's so amazing about this passage. As we understand and believe this word by faith this morning, we get to see what John saw. We get to be amazed and overwhelmed by the reality he reveals to us. We get to see the throne room. So I want to see three major things with you this morning about this throne room. Number one is the nature of the throne room. Who's sitting there, what it's like. Number two, we need to see and hear from the attendants of the throne room. There are those there participate in the worship. We need to see who they are and hear what they tell us. And third, we need to consider our response to the throne room. We want to see the response of those there who see what they saw. And in that, consider our response. So the nature of the throne room, the attendance of the throne room and their message and the response to the throne room. May God, the Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see what John saw. So we'll, be, we'll begin with the nature of the throne room and we'll start in verses one to two. You know, um, Revelation is always pressing in on us to want to show us the fundamental reality that is deeper and more real than kind of what appears to be there at the external level. This happens constantly in Revelation. Uh, Revelation often uses symbolism for it, but just a, just a few examples to remember. As we saw through the letters to the churches, there'll be one church that looks like it's doing great, it has a reputation for good works, everything looks wonderful about them, and Jesus says, well, the true reality is you're nearly dead. There'll be another church that's poor, that's small, that's demeaned, uh, that's overlooked. And Jesus says, you're faithful. You are faithful. You're going to be pillars in my temple. Revelation is showing us deeper reality. And here in this chapter, how do I put this into words? We see the, the deepest reality, the most fundamental, powerful reality and this ultimate reality is the throne. It's the throne. And it's the throne, I will say, of sovereign majesty. The throne of sovereign majesty. I'm not just trying to throw uh, churchy words at you. Um, I mean these words on purpose. Sovereign. What does that word mean? Sovereign. It means authoritative control. It means that this throne is the seat of power beyond all power, sovereign, in control. Second, majesty. Majesty means uh, overwhelming beauty and dignity. So in majesty, you see something that um, is gorgeous, is, is, uh, is wonderful, and it also has the sense of honor and dignity to it. It's the way things ought to be. There's a beautiful excellence to it. The throne of sovereign majesty. That's what we get to see here. So in verses 1 to 2, John is invited to come up here and see what will soon take place 
you know, you, you consider as we're going to read through Revelation all these things that are taking place and are going to take place chapter after chapter. But what's so important to see, and this is really the anchor of this book, is that it all starts with the throne. This is the place that is totally in control of everything that will take place. This is the throne of sovereign majesty. In fact, the one on the throne is the one whom everything taking place is all about. There's one seated on the throne. He's seated on the throne. Revelation is packed, as we've said over and over again, with Old Testament allusions. Uh, allusions are pictures that are nearly references to Old Testament stories, texts, ideas. And so they remind us, they teach us, we need to read Revelation biblically, always looking for how Revelation is uh, fulfilling or expanding on what has been taught in the Old Testament. And just like many places, this section in Revelation is full of ideas from the prophet Daniel. In fact, Daniel 7.6 is nearly identical with Revelation 4.1. They both say, after this I looked and behold. And so we see John is a prophet just like Daniel. In fact, Revelation is fulfilling the book of Daniel. Moreover, in Daniel 7, Daniel sees this vision of the throne of the Ancient of Days. Daniel 7.9, as I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. This is the eternal one, the one who reigns over all. Moreover, just a few verses later, Daniel 7, 13, we see this one like a son of man presented to the ancient of days on his throne. Daniel 7, 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And doesn't this sound just like Revelation 4 and Revelation 5? After this, I looked and behold, a throne. And there's the Ancient of Days, our Father in heaven. And next chapter, Revelation 5, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, will be presented before the throne of his Father. And so we see here the one seated on the throne of sovereign majesty, is no less than the God who revealed himself in the Bible. Church, the first thing we need to see is our God reigns. He's in control. He's sovereign. He reigns over all things right now for his glory. In fact, as we're going to see as we work through this book, the circumstances that cause us to question his control actually come from his throne for his purposes. This is the deepest reality of life. Our God reigns. And we, it doesn't always look that way, does it, to our eyes? You see the chaos and pain and brokenness of this world, and you wonder, is there still a throne? And Revelation says overwhelmingly, yes, look. Look to see deepest reality. Our God reigns. This is a throne of sovereignty. This is also the throne of majesty. Remember, majesty is just this overwhelming beauty and excellence or dignity. Um, so in verse 3, we see it's the throne of majestic beauty. Now, this verse kind of stretches our imagination. Listen again. He who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. 
So even the person on the throne, we're supposed to get this idea of radiant light and color and beauty. Jasper is used later in the book of Revelation to express just a glorious delight. So we see there's just a beauty here that can't be expressed fully, can't be contained. It's wonderful. Moreover, around the throne, there's a rainbow that has the appearance of an emerald. I don't know how to express that further, except again, it's the idea of glorious beauty. It doesn't take much for us to, uh, you know, fill Instagram with pictures of our rainbows when we see them, right? When was the last time there was a big storm and you saw that thing, sometimes a double rainbow, and you're just, wow, right? It's, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. That's, got the, that's the picture of the throne, except... Uh, exponentially so. Moreover, it reminds us of God's merciful upholding of his creation, that in his judgment and his mercy, he provides for life to continue. He's in control. It's a picture of majestic beauty. Look at Psalm 96, verse 6. Psalm 96, verse 6. The psalmist writes, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. You know, one day, and I'm excited about this, uh, Romans 5 says, We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. One day we're going to see this, not with the eyes of faith, but with experience. And it is so wonderful to know there is a place of eternal beauty that is unchanging, undiminished, uncorruptible. Don't you feel like this world can be so ugly, so chaotic, so hopeless sometimes? Moreover, in this world, cursed as it is by sin, the beautiful always withers. It dies it's, it's sobering for me to think that everything I love and have in this world will certainly one day end. You know, we could, we could weep over that. But here is a deep, deep wellspring of hope, is that in God and his throne, there is eternal majesty forever undiminished, and one day we will see it, and that will never be taken away from us. One day his glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Come, Lord Jesus. It's a throne of majestic beauty. It's also a throne of majestic power. Look now at verse five, majestic power. John tells us that from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. This uh, most certainly is an allusion to Exodus 20 where God met with his people on Mount Sinai after rescuing them from Egypt. Exodus 20, 18 says this, Exodus 20, 18. When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Indeed. This world is full of scary things, earthquakes, fires, tsunamis. Those are nothing in comparison 
to the all-powerful strength and might of our God. He flexes and creation shakes. Our God is powerful. The context of Exodus reminds us how he made Pharaoh and Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth at the time, to crumble. He makes nations rise and fall. Here's a verse we need to remember today's context. Isaiah 40, 15. Isaiah 40, 15. Ponder this with me. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. You know, with most scales, most scales don't notice dust. They don't register. And the prophet Isaiah is telling us, all the nations of the earth weighed together don't even register in comparison to the power of our God who is seated on his throne. He is majestically powerful. Third, the throne is full of majestic authority. Majestic authority. Here we are at the end of verse 5 and into verse 6. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Well, what are we to do with these images? Uh, we've seen the reference to the seven spirits of God before. I'm convinced this is a symbolic representation of the Holy Spirit himself. And we've argued that from seven several places in Revelation. But we remember here that the Holy Spirit is the one who sovereignly completes the will of God with perfect knowledge and, and execution in God's creation. In fact, Genesis even tells us that the Spirit of God, remember, in creation, Genesis 1, was hovering over the waters. It's the Holy Spirit who brought order out of chaos as God created. He's sovereign in his majestic authority. Moreover, verse 6, before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. What are we to do with this? I mean, it's, it's a cool image, and we're just imagining being there, but, but what's, the, what's the meaning to it? Well, later uh, in Revelation, Revelations 15, we hear reference to this same sea, and there, next to that sea, Revelation 15, 3, they sing the song of Moses. I think that's a really important clue. Moses next to a sea. Does that remind you of anything? Well, it ought to. It's another allusion to the events of Exodus. We remember that the Red Sea stood there as a major obstacle to the people's rescue out of slavery in Egypt to freedom in the Promised Land. And there was nothing they in themselves could do. They were up against the wall of this ocean. They could not on their own cross and were in great danger. And yet what did God do? In his might and his power, he sovereignly parted that sea so that his people could pass through into their salvation to the point where he uses this undefeatable obstacle to both save his people and judge their enemies. Did you hear that? You need to keep that. 
This was this seeming, seemingly insurmountable obstacle between God's people and their salvation that God was sovereign over to use to save his people and judge his enemies. As we study Revelation, we'll see, and it's true in other places in Scripture as well, that the sea is often symbolic of chaos and evil. The beasts in Revelation will come out of the sea. And so we see this, uh, this ocean of chaos and evil and tyranny. It seems to be in our way as Christians. This is a picture of tribulation. And we wonder, are we going to make it? Is God going to save us? We don't think we can do it on our own. But just as God parts the Red Sea... In saving his people, so he will make a way for his people through tribulation. It will be the vehicle through which he saves them and judges his enemies. Which is why it's so wonderful to see here before the throne, this sea of chaos and evil. What does it look like in front of God's sovereign throne? It's a sea of glass. It makes you want to go skiing. (laughs) If you've ever water skied, that's smooth. How can the sea of chaos and evil look look like a lake in perfect peace? Because our God is sovereign and majestic in his authority. So awesome. Church, your God is awesome and your God is sovereign. Our God reigns with sovereign majesty. That's the nature of his throne. Now we want to look at the attendance of the throne room. We have some curious creatures here. Let's start with the ones in verses 6 to 7. Around the throne we see on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. These are strange and awesome beings that are difficult to imagine, but I want to pick up on some themes with you to to understand the meaning they bring, what they symbolize. First of all, they're creatures. That's pointed out. They're creatures, which means they have been created. Now, we already know that there's God and there's creation. But in this case, we're shown explicitly that these are creatures. That's helpful. We also saw it's a lion, an ox, a human, and an eagle. Well, these are figurehead creatures. These are standout creatures of God's creation, which leads us to think these creatures kind of represent God's creation as a whole. Because their main job here is the message they give. Look at verse 8. The four living creatures... Each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is the message they're constantly, passionately proclaiming. Did you notice they're full of eyes in front and behind? Um, I don't know if that's literal or symbolic. It seems like it would be difficult if it was literal, but there, must, there, there might be a way. 
But at least symbolically, what does it show us? If they have all these eyes, what are they able to do? They see. And as they see the one who is on the throne, as they constantly see, they constantly say, they can't help it. They can't but express the beauty and the glory of what they are seeing. What do they say repeatedly, continually, over and again? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What does this mean? Do you remember? Holy, a three-part repetition. It's the strongest emphasis there, there can be that God is holy. He is set apart from all things in every way as most perfect, as most wonderful. He is in himself pristine perfection in beauty, in righteousness, in wisdom, and in power. He is sufficient in himself, needing nothing, and all things are about him. He's the one who was and is and is to come. He is the story of reality. He's the sovereign author of life. He is the creator. He is the creator who is holy and deserving of your worship. Do you see the message of these attendants? If they represent God's creation, what is God's creation then telling you about God? Creation is telling you how majestic and marvelous and wonderful and holy he is. And creation is telling you that he is worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your worship. I wonder if these living creatures are looking at more than just God here. Here's why I would say that. I think they might be looking at us. Revelation 15, 7. Revelation 15, 7. Later on in this book, we see this. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. That's interesting as we're thinking about these creatures. Their message is, as they represent creation, we have been created by the Holy One and He's worthy of our worship. They see Him and they know His value and they tell us of that value. But they're also ready to give out bowls of wrath, bowls of anger, bowls of justice. Why? Well, these things go together. He's worthy of worship, which means it is a great evil not to worship him as he deserves. Creation shows us that God is worthy of worship and that it is a great evil not to worship him as he deserves. This is what the Bible says, isn't it? Psalm 19.1. What do the heavens tell us? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And therefore, all people from all places of all times know in their heart of hearts there is a glorious God who is worthy of worship. The material is moral. The material shows meaning that a holy God has created us. And this leads us to the human problem, doesn't it? 
This leads us to our problem. We know God is worthy of worship and we have not worshiped him as he deserves. This is what Paul describes in Romans 1, 18, as he's talking about everyone's need for the gospel. Listen to the message from Romans 1, 18 to 21. Paul writes here, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, what do we do? What's our unrighteousness? We suppress the truth. So just grab onto this. There's truth that we know and that we don't like, and so we suppress it, we twist it, we hide it. Let's keep moving forward, verse 19. For, this is how we do it, what can be known about God is what? What's that next word? Plain to them. It's obvious. It's clear. How can Paul say that? Because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived, where? Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. You see what these creatures are saying? They represent creation. They are saying, we see the glory and holiness of our God. And in fact, all who see anything in creation, you see it too. And you see that he is worthy of worship. And then we realize we have not worshiped as he deserves. We suppress the truth. We replace him with other things. So the first attendance to see, I think they represent creation and what creation is shouting to us, that our God who made us is holy and is worthy of our worship. But there's another set of attendants as well. We see them throughout the passage, but we start in verse four. Start in verse four. Around the throne, there were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Now, uh, what are we supposed to do with this group? 24 thrones. Well, numbers are very important in Revelation. They're very symbolic and very meaningful. 24, how would you get math like that for thrones? Well, how many tribes of Israel were there? Let's try that on. 12. Uh, how many apostles did Jesus have? 12, 12 plus 12, 24. Maybe we're on the right track. Maybe these elders represent all of God's people for all time before his throne. In fact, this interpretation I think is confirmed as we see what they're wearing. What are our elders here wearing? White robes, golden crowns. White garments, golden crowns. Haven't we seen this before in the letters to the churches? Didn't Jesus promise these very things to his people who would overcome and follow him? Revelation 3, verse 5. Revelation 3, 5. Jesus said to the one, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I'll never blot his name out of the book of life. Revelation 3, 11. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. 
robes and crowns are blessings from repentant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The white robe, as we've seen before, that we get white robes as we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He lived a perfect life, life, died on the cross in our place, rose from the dead in victory. As we repent from our sins and trust in him, we receive his righteousness by grace through faith. It's even like a coat. We wear him and what he's done for us. His perfection is ours. He's taken our sin. We're forgiven. We're washed white. We're made new. The robe is a gift from Christ, our king. It makes us fit for the throne room. The crown, we remember a verse like Revelation 1.5. Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. When you trust Christ, you're adopted by the Father, which means you're an heir of the eternal kingdom forever. We have a new identity as participants in the kingdom of God. What, an, what a dignified and valuable and noble identity we carry. Those who follow Christ, God in his grace are, is so merciful so as to reward us for faithfulness that he has enabled in us. To give us a crown of glory that we share because of Christ. In fact, you know, how is it that John got to see this peek into the throne room of God? How is it that John was brought near to see? Remember verse one of chapter four. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. How does John get to go up through that door? Is that on his own strength, his jumping ability? <laughs> His righteousness. No, you, need, you have to be invited. And you have to be invited by someone pretty unique. Do you know who it is that has a voice like a trumpet? The only one who can invite you and get you in the door to the throne room? This is the voice of the Lord Jesus. This is from Jesus. Revelation 1, 10 to 17, we saw. This is Jesus. Jesus alone brings us in to enjoy worshiping before the throne. That's what the elders teach us. Their robes show you only Christ can get you in here. The crowns show you Christ is the one who gets us in here. The invitation shows you Christ gets us in here. And now we see these two themes of the attendants come together. The first attendants say, our creator God is worthy of worship and you have not worshiped him as you should. And the second attendants say, Jesus can cover that for you. Jesus alone worshiped the Father as the Father deserved. And Jesus paid the price for your lack of worship. If you trust him, you're covered with his robe. And even though you haven't worshiped at you as you ought, you're brought near to enjoy the presence of God before his throne. Jesus brings us in to see and now we get to the, the, to the response of seeing the throne. The response to seeing the, throw versus, seeing the throne, verses 9 to 11. This kind of happens in this first step in verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Let's just pause there. 
Revelation shows us the true reality. These living creatures, they see what we so often forget. They see the holiness of God. And what do they do? Here's the response. Here's the response to those who see God's holiness. Number one, they give glory. What's it mean to give glory? It's it's to express that you found true beauty. It's, It's something like the phrase, I finally found it. It's something like the phrase that says, this is the most beautiful and the most precious, the most worthy thing there is. It's worth living for. It's worth dying for. It's worth being consumed by. Give glory. Give honor. To show honor is to express like this is what's valuable. You treat things with honor that are valuable to you. You, give, you, you show and express this is true value right here, our God. And you give thanks Are you still thankful, church? I know so many of our conversations, and I get it, so many of our conversations are about things that are tough. And there are a lot of things that are tough. I'm not demeaning that at all. John knows this. He's a partner in tribulation. We're not demeaning that. But you know what? Sometimes when we obsess over the things that are tough, you know what disappears? Thankfulness. Not when you see the throne. Not when you see the throne. Not when you know you've been invited there by grace. And not when you realize this is the one who's given life. This is the one who's given eternal life. This is the one from whom all good has come. And you get to see and know him. How thankful should we be? The living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne who lives forever and ever. Now look what the 24 elders do. This is the response to seeing the throne. They fall down before him and they worship him who lives forever and ever. What does this mean? Have you ever been uh, just praying at home and thought you needed to get on your face? What does it express? It's something like um, overwhelming reverence Thanksgiving, it's a physical way to express giving glory and honor and thanks. It's just, it's, 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 it's melting before something. It's submitting to something. It's celebrating something. It's valuing something. It's the way to respond to a holy God. I love what happens next. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God. I love the interplay here. Who gave them the crowns? This sovereign, gracious God gave them the crown. He enabled the faithfulness in them that he called forth from them in the gospel by his spirit. And they followed him and they overcame and they made it to the throne room. And and he gives them this crown. And then they in humble worship say, no, the glory's to you. It was your love. It was your power. It was your grace that enabled this in my life. The glory's to you. And so they cast their throne down. But this happens every time. This happens over and over again. And so there's this, this interchange where this gracious, generous God is placing the crown on his people. And they're putting it back saying, glory to you. We're delighted. He's glorified. Look what they say. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Mm. 
What's the only response to seeing the throne? It's just, it's, it's whole life worship. Whole body on the ground. Mind consumed. Heart filled. Hands and feet devoted. It's whole self worship because he is the one worthy of everything. Friends, this should, this should make us different. A lot of writers are saying we're more and more in a secular age. And the, the meaning of that word secular is, is pretty much we're focused on here and now. We decide, we invent, we self-create, we name, we're in charge. Revelation 4 blows that up. Revelation 4 demolishes that. There's a throne a sovereign, majestic throne, and he will reign forever and ever. Have you seen it? Do you see it? Does it grab you? Has it won you? The glory of God through Jesus Christ. How will you respond to this peak at deepest reality, the sovereign, majestic throne? There's two fundamental things I wanna mention as we close. Number one, if you're not a Christian this morning and you realize you have not worshiped the sovereign God who gave you life and you're wondering what to do with that, we wanna invite you to trust Jesus Christ. He will invite, I mean, this is the truth Paul says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He loves to invite sinners to the throne and he can make you fit for that throne room if you'll repent of your sin and trust in him. He will give you his perfect righteousness as he pays for your sin through what he did on the cross so that you could wear those white robes and be welcomed in the presence of God. Trust yourself to Christ. Second, if you are a Christian, let's evermore have our hearts consumed and satisfied with the thing that is unchanging if you latch your heart too much to the circumstances of this life and this world, you will be consumed by anxiety. You will wonder if there's any hope, and you'll find one day there isn't any. This is a, a time between Jesus' ascension and resurrection of tribulation in many ways. Ultimate hope is not found here, but if your heart latches on to the reality of the throne, you have inexhaustible resources for meaning, joy, hope, peace, wisdom, strength. And it will motivate you to live a life of devotion. I'll finish with these verses. Paul says this in Romans 12, verses one to two. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. May it be said of us that we look to Christ, that we saw through the eyes of faith the sovereign majesty of the throne, and we bowed ourselves in devotion to him, for he alone is worthy. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for this incredible view into who you are and the reality that you reign. 
and you do so forever and ever. We thank you that you are beautiful, that you are satisfying, and Lord, we just bow our hearts before you. Humble ourselves before you, proclaim you are holy and you are good. We don't deserve to be in the beauty of your throne room, but we thank you so much for Jesus Christ and what he's done to make us right with you and to bring us in, that he would invite us up to see and to enjoy, even now in anticipation, the reality of your glory and your wonder. Lord, inspire us with this text and make us different because of it, because we've seen the sovereign majesty of the ultimate throne. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Great to be with you. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.